So this afternoon I'd like to talk about spiritual feelings, uh, pleasant and unpleasant and neutral spiritual feelings. And so just to review, um, so in the Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddha talks about um, feelings as worldly or uh, or sensory um, and unworldly or spiritual, and uh, and this is a really important distinction. So so in our lives, we engage with both kinds of feelings. It's not to say that we don't engage with, of course, sensory feelings. Um, we just know the limitations of sensory feelings uh, to to bring us any kind of enduring sense of happiness or contentment, um, tranquility in our lives. So there's you know there's a question that um, I think is really important to consider uh, in in our practice. Um, as we come to understand the limitations of, of sensory feelings to give us any kind of peace and contentment and enduring uh, well-being. Um, could I be happy? Would I really be happy if I changed the focus of my life from seeking, spiritual, uh, from seeking pleasant feelings? from seeking pleasant feelings. And um, could, I, could I be happy if I gave up my attachment to pleasant feelings? I think that's a, that's a really great, great question. Um, and uh, you know, one of the things that we discover as we're becoming more attuned to the flux of you know, how pleasant feelings just, you know, rise and pass away, unpleasant, and, and that, you know, experience is also full of unpleasant feelings, um, is that, you know, how, how we can be on this treadmill of, of just always trying to escape unpleasant feelings and, um, and chasing after pleasant feelings and actually ignoring the neutral feelings which um, can be quite restful to notice neutral feelings. It can be quite restful. Um, be a, a kind of like one of the reasons that the breath is such a wonderful uh, object for meditation is that it's a neutral experience. You know, it's not particularly exciting or. Unless you have a bad cold, it's not particularly unpleasant. So, um, so neutral feelings can be uh, actually very restful. So, um, and we ignore them most of the time. So, so spiritual pleasant feelings come from the. From, from renunciation or letting go. Uh, so um, the thing, the, the important thing to uh, recognize, realize about spiritual pleasant feelings is that desire, aversion, and delusion don't underlie the uh, spiritual feelings. 
So giving up attachment uh, and giving up wanting things to be different than how they are, you know, when we do that, um, what's left is, is peace, joy, and contentment. And, and um, I, I just want to add an aside that, you know, somebody asked a question yesterday about, well, you know, if we're, if we don't um, ever act on unpleasant feelings, you know, what about responding in the world to things that are um, unjust or, um, you know, uh, that are harmful, uh, you know, because we, we feel something about, you know, ac- actions that are harmful to the earth or harmful to people, you know, we feel, um, we, we feel uh, it's unpleasant, you know, that it does arouse unpleasant feelings in us. And so, um, you know, isn't it important to respond to these? And so, you know, it's, it's, it's not that we don't respond to what we see in the world, but it's can we respond and not react? So there's a lot of reacting going on Inter, you know, with anger and with, um, uh, you know, excluding people, and um, and so can our can our response to what we see as difficult or problematic in in our communities, in our in our families, in our world, can it come from wisdom and compassion and love, and not a sense of Excluding so, so uh, so it, this isn't a this isn't a um, requirement or a, a, a sort of a, an instruction to become passive. So um, so I so I I just said that um, spiritual pleasant feelings come from the experience of renunciation or letting go, and they're not. They're not um, kind of uh, su- supported or or uh, or connected to um, greed, aversion, and delusion. And so, um, what are what are the ways that we can practice renunciation so that <clears throat> so that um, we experience spiritual pleasant feelings in our in our lives? You know what. What are the what are the practices that um, that support uh, spiritual pleasant feelings? So um, and and which also support you know they support in in support in in being practices of renunciation. You know they are supporting our journey, our unfolding toward more freedom, more more liberation, more wisdom, uh, more compassion. So um, and and the spiritual pleasant feelings are are the byproduct. So um, so one of the first things that the Buddha taught uh, was generosity, and generosity is a kind of renunciation, um, and it's um, and especially generosity. Sometimes people are generous, you know, 
people give a big donation and they want their name on the you know new hospital wing or something and it's it's not to say that that's that's a bad thing you know we need that kind of generosity but it's it also it's it's mixed right it's uh, it's mixed with wanting to be recognized um, so um, so when we give generously without anticipation of of reward or uh, recognition um, that's um, that's that's a form of renunciation it's we're renouncing um, we're letting go of the, a sense of fear uh, we're letting go of a sense of um, uh, not having enough um, you know not not uh, not trusting uh, life to to um, to supply what we need <clears throat> and um, and the Buddha said that uh, that gener- generous giving uh, gives joy uh, in three ways and many of you have heard Janet talk about this in her in her Donna talk that uh, it gives joy in anticipating the the giving it gives joy in the act of giving and it gives joy in recollecting that we gave generously um, another form of renunciation is um, moral integrity so so not to kill steal lie uh, engage in sexual misconduct or misuse intoxicants so um these um, these behaviors that the precepts protect us from um, is a kind of, is is they when when we're breaking the precepts when we're when we're killing or taking life in some way lying stealing and so on uh, we're we're ignorant of the impact of our behavior on others. And we're, you know, living from a very self, self-absorbed, self-centered perspective, and um, and that um, and to renounce these behaviors supports uh, a sense of of joy and integrity, um, which are pleasant, spiritually pleasant. So the meditations that are um, the the four boundless states that we've been, you know, including in our chants and doing the guided meditations on um, metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, loving kindness, compassion, uh, joy, and equanimity. Uh, these these four um, practices, the meditations, the that that we're doing and also just simply bringing these qualities to mind uh, and heart also arouse joy and pleasant um, pleasant feelings you know associated with love it's it's uh, it's pleasant to experience love uh, compassion um, joy and equanimity equanimity is is the neutral spiritual feeling, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. 
Um, so, um, so these these uh, states of heart mind, you know, we don't usually think of them as forms of renunciation, but uh, they are taught. They're taught in different ways. So they are practices that uh, develop our heart, our natural capacities for these sublime emotions. Um, they are also practices which uh, are concentration or um, practices that collect the mind. So when we do a metta practice, we're collecting the mind in the same way that we do when we're um, collecting the, the, our attention to each breath. You know, we're collecting our attention to to uh, to give metta to you know to to um, sense the uh, that that quality of energy of metta in the heart and to our object that we're directing it toward. So. Um, and it's also, and they're also uh, purification practices. So, so uh, metta uh, purifies uh, ill will, and um, karuna purifies cruelty, and mudita purifies envy, and um, upeka purifies attachment. And so, so these are purification practices that. Um, you know, are in so in that way they are practices of renunciation. So, so and many people practice them that way. Uh, so, you know, when when we feel ill will towards somebody, you know, we we can bring metta to that person. Um, when Joseph Goldstein was in Montreal and, and teaching, he uh, he used an example. Um, for Mudita, he said that when he was in a um, in a monastery um, early on in his practice, and uh, he saw this monk, you know, and he was just kind of, you know, uh, a beginner. His mind was very scattered. You know, he had no idea what to do in the monastic setting, and um, and there was this this monk that was, uh, you know, seemed you know very much you know. Present and his robes were always beautifully, you know, arrayed, and uh, and he was, you know, doing his practices so so perfectly and and with such attention, and and he felt he said he felt this envy arising, like a sense of competitiveness with this with this monk, and he and 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 it just you know occurred to him, well, I can just switch this around, and I can. I can uh, just really take joy in, in you know, in this monk's practice, and that this practice is so well established, and you know, uh, and he seems to be so so clear and present in his practice. So, um, so he, you know, he talked about it as changing the channel. You know, it's like, oh, well, I'll I'll switch from the envy channel to the mudita channel. <laughs> Said, oh, it's a lot more pleasant. <laughs> so, uh, so that in that way, that's an example of how it can be a renunciation practice uh, as well. <clears throat> the practice of simplicity, 
um, is a kind of renunciation. It's simplifying our lives, and we do that when we come on retreat. We're putting aside all the busyness, you know, we may have preferences, um, you know, about when we do this or when we do that or how we do something, and we're just putting that aside and, and allowing ourselves to be simple. And there's a, there's a joy in that, just, just being simple. Um, another another uh, form of renunciation is um, is that that supports pleasant spiritual feelings are um, is the simple practice of uh, samatha. So so that so actually when when we let go of the preoccupying thought and come back to the breath, that simple act of Letting go and returning to the breath is a practice of renunciation. It's it's realizing, yeah, I don't I don't have to keep doing this. I don't have to keep thinking and thinking and thinking and going over and over this in my mind. I can actually let this go. Um, insight into the impermanent, unsatisfactory, and selfless nature of experience. Um, is, uh, is, is also a form of renunciation. It's a renunciation of seeing the permanent, is of seeing the impermanent as permanent, of seeing the unfulfilling as fulfilling, and seeing the selfless as a self. So, so these are perceptual distortions that you know, we, we see through and we let go. And, um, and direct experiences of freedom. So, uh, so, so freedom, you know, when, when we just, you know, when we just open, uh, when we're just open and present, um, without clinging, uh, that is, that arises from letting go. It is something that is a pleasant experience, and it's also something that we have to not cling to, because it arises um, on its own. We can't make it happen. So some of the unpleasant spiritual feelings that come up um, that are part of practice, and... um, and so again, the unpleasant spiritual feelings, they're unpleasant, but we don't get caught up in aversion and wanting to get rid of them. So, so one of the uh, important ways that, that we can experience unpleasant spiritual feelings is, is in the, the practice of insight as we are turning toward the habits of mind that cause suffering and pain in our lives, you know. So when we're turning toward envy, when we're turning toward grasping, when we're turning toward hatred, um, when we're turning toward judgment, and so on, these are states of suffering. And so we're turning toward these sufferings, these sufferings in our practice, uh, to, in order to see through 
um, into their nature. And so the, the, the result of the experience is freedom, which is pleasant, and the, the unfolding of the experience can feel unpleasant, right? Um, so so that's, uh, that's, an, that's an unpleasant experience. Um, so um, sometimes, sometimes we have un, an un, unpleasant feelings around, you know, wanting to practice and having, you know, a lot of things going on in our lives, um, and uh, and so you know, because we have many commitments, we can't we can't practice as much as we want. That can feel unpleasant, um, and. Um, you know, another um, yeah, no, I won't say that. Um, sorry, that was it. Uh, yeah, and and sometimes sometimes when our heart is open and we we see another's suffering, um, the heart quivers in compassion with their uh, the suffering of another and um, and that's um, that can that can feel although although we don't get caught in it there can be a quality of unpleasantness in that I think um, some teachings uh, I've heard teachings say that compassion is not is never unpleasant, but I, I, I find sometimes uh, it is. So that's my that's my uh, perspective on it. Um, sometimes, uh, as we are, as the practice goes deep in the body, there are energetic releases in the body called rapture. Uh, sometimes it's called rapture. Sometimes it's it's called uh, shakti experiences, but whatever it's called, what it is, is the deep holding in the body is being released and, and there are waves of energy. And, and that can feel pleasant or it can sometimes feel unpleasant. When it's happening a lot, sometimes it, it feels unpleasant. So, so there, there can be unpleasant feelings um, associated with practice. <clears throat> There's, um, you know, some... This, some people talked about kind of this this sense of wanting this uh, attachment to mindfulness, attachment to um, uh, to practice, you know, wanting to practice, and and that I think we could also say is um, is spiritually unpleasant, and um, and then uh, so so lastly, I want to talk about. Uh, neutral spirit, spiritual feelings. So, um, so, so we could say that equanimity is uh, a, a new, the neutral spiritual <clears throat> feeling, and um, and equanimity is um, it's described as um, unshakable balance of mind. Uh, the Buddha said that 
The equanimous mind is abundant, exalted, immeasurable, and without hostility or ill will. Uh, it's associated with great peace and, um, and is the ground or the basis for the arising of freedom. It's called the threshold to awakening. And um, <clears throat> so, so some some may um, so so also when we talk about equanimity within the context of the Brahma Viharas, um, uh, we could say that it's the. It's the, uh, it's the ground for wisdom and the protector of compassion and love. So, so compassion might become, you know, pity, and, um, and love might become, you know, attachment. And so equanimity keeps us balanced. So, um, just wondering... Um, so, uh, so Gil Fronsdale, um, as I mentioned, he's a scholar, and um, and he says that actually the English word equanimity translates two different Pali words, and it's kind of interesting. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna <coughs> tell you what these are. That um, and each represents a different aspect of equanimity. So the most common word, Pali word that we hear is upekka. And the, the, the kind of the, the sense that upekka has in Pali is to look over. So it comes from the power of observation um, to see without being caught up in what we see. Yeah, maybe Jim, could you open that door so that uh, we're getting more breeze? Thanks. Um, so um, so it, it also can refer to seeing a bigger picture. So, um, so sometimes the word is used to mean to see with patience or, or seeing with understanding. So, so for example, when, when we, we don't take something so personally, you know, um, we're less likely to react to what is said. You know, if we're, if we're not... If we're t- if we're kind of seeing a bigger picture, if we're or seeing with understanding, we're less likely to react. So so we we remain more at ease and equanimous. So that's that's that sense of seeing a bigger picture, having a, a broad view, um, and um, and um, and also it has a sense of non-preferential, um, and. Um, so, and, and this form of equanimity is sometimes compared to grandmotherly love. The grandmother loves her grandchildren, but because of her experience with her own children, she's less likely to be caught up in the little dramas. So, so I like that. Equanimity is like being a grandmother. And uh, the second word, um, often translated as equanimity, is uh, tatra maja, tatra maja tata. <laughs> That's a, a bit of a mouthful, but I don't know if I said it right. 
but um, it so it so it's made up of pal, uh, two pali words and uh, or, or three pali words. Um, Tatra means all these things. Maja means being in the middle, and Tata means to stand or pose. So it's to stand in the middle of all this, you know, to stand in the middle of all the stuff that's going on, and um, and to remain centered in what's happening, you know, in spite of all the things that are going on, and and so this this sense of of balance comes from a, a inner stability. Uh, that we develop in practice, and um, and equanimity um, is is a protection from the eight vicissitudes or worldly winds. So, so you know, our lives are full of so many things that we don't have control over, and the Buddha talked about these as the eight uh, worldly winds. Um, praise and blame, success and failure, pleasure and pain, fame and disrepute. So, uh, so praise and blame. You know, how many times have you seen somebody else get praised for your hard work, or or not get praised for your hard, or you that you don't get praised for your hard work? It's it's not noticed. Um, how many times have you tried so hard to do something and it didn't work. Uh, pleasure and pain, well, we're kind of working with that and, and the feelings. And fame and disrepute. It's like, yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's close to praise and blame, but uh, fame and disrepute means, oh, yeah, I'm just, nobody notices me. You know, I'm just here working away. You know, uh, and... Uh, and somebody else is, you know, getting all the notice. So, you know, we can feel that sometimes, right? And um, and so and so so the Buddha says, you know, with equanimity, we don't we don't get caught up in chasing after, you know, praise or or fame or you know or pleasure um, or success. You know, we're just we're balanced because we know that that these come and go all these eight worldly winds. And then when they do come, when success go- does come, when praise does come, you know, can we just say, oh, that's nice, yeah, that feels nice, and it's, you know, <laughs> it comes and goes. So just, just be even, be on an even keel with it. So, so some of the, um, the practices that help to develop equanimity uh, there's overlap with the the spiritually pleasant feelings. So uh, virtue, integrity. Um, so um, you know, part of that has to do with looking at our past issues, letting go of holding on to resentment. You know, if we if we're holding on to old angers, old resentments old griefs, old unresolved issues. Um, that's, that's part of our integrity, is to bring a resolution, to let go, to, to bring forgiveness or acceptance um, or um, resolution in some way to, the old, to our old issues because, because um, it's very hard to, to really enter into a deepening understanding 
of, you know, who we truly are, the truth of our lives, if we're, you know, holding a sense of enmity or victimhood. Um, so, so the and 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 the sense of integrity. Um, uh, we live in the equanimity of blamelessness, and the ancient Buddhist texts speak about being being able to go into an assembly of people and feel blameless. So we, we look around and we we know that there's we haven't harmed anybody. We at least intentionally. There's been no intent. You know, we can we can feel at ease. Uh, so that's a, a quality of integrity. Um, the sense of assurance or confidence or that comes from, from faith, especially faith grounded in wisdom, faith grounded in experience. Um, so, um, so having faith in our ability to engage in spiritual practice then you know we'll meet life's uh, vicissitudes, life's challenges with equanimity. So uh, the third support for equanimity is um, a stability of mind. So uh, the collectedness of mind, what we've been talking about here, uh, that that the mind is steady and stable and can see experience arise and pass away without getting caught up in it. Another is is just having a sense of well-being. Um, and so we don't need to uh, just um, you know leave that to chance. We, we, we need to we need to uh, nourish our sense of well-being. like you know do we have do we take the time to practice every day? Do we take the time to sit down and eat a meal, you know, uh, consciously? Um, do we uh, connect with relate in relationships that are important to us? So, um, cultivating our well-being. Um, so, so one of the most important supports for equanimity is is understanding or wisdom so wisdom is to be present without uh, with what whatever is happening and um, with it with an openness without contracting reacting resisting um, pushing away so um, so this this isn't you know, this is something that 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 is cultivated uh, because you know we discover in our practice that we are reactive and things trigger us and so so um, so cultivating this quality of of presence attention and openness really helps us to remain equanimous and to to recognize that you know, people's actions are different from the people themselves. So that when somebody does something that that seems unskillful, you know, rather than judging or rejecting, we we can um, have a, a, this quality of equanimity and openness, 
and um, uh, you know just acceptance okay this is what's happening right now and this is not you know the whole person this person is not defined by by that um, uh, that particular action I, I guess essentially we could say that it's recognizing that that things are arising through causes and conditions and they're and, and seeing into the selfless nature of of whatever is happening. Um, we can um, we can listen, we can attend from a space of silence when and um, when there's uh, wisdom. <clears throat> And um, an insight. So, so uh, again, uh, the insight which sees into the impermanent and unreliable and selfless nature of of every condition arising and passing away. So it's. Um, So, so, so when we are seeing uh, each moment arising and passing away with uh, such rapidity, there we we really come to understand that that each each moment is arising. Uh, each moment is a new moment arising, and um, and so we're not. We're not uh, kind of predisposing ourselves, or prejudging, or um, or bringing an attitude of uh, of preference to our experience. We're we're really attending and open and present, and um, And finally, um, freedom. This, all of this leading to the experience of freedom. And, and the greatest freedom is uh, freedom from the illusion that we're not already free. <laughs> so uh, so that's, that's uh, something to really um, uh, open to that possibility that although you know our minds have there are habits of the mind and yet freedom is already here freedom is already who we are that the clarity the openness uh, the um, the emptiness, which is a fullness of life, um, the emptiness from which all of life manifests, all of the creative possibility of life manifests um, effortlessly, uh, is arising. That and and the uh, the effortless awareness of what is that that is already. Present, and um, so so this freedom 
is simply saying yes to life. This freedom is, is simply saying yes to what is in our life, saying yes to this moment. Even if it's an unpleasant moment. So, without grasping or resisting. So, most essentially, as we directly realize that, as we directly realize that everything in the past that we have ever experienced was impermanent, unsatisfactory, and selfless. That everything in the present is impermanent, unsatisfactory, and selfless. And everything that we experience in the future, any conditioned experience through the senses that we experience in the future, will be impermanent, unsatisfactory and selfless. That is the uh, essential condition for the arising of equanimity. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.